a ceasefire would be a total victory for Hamas, and they'll just do it over and over and over again. Every civilian killed as a human shield is the fault of Hamas. Smith will try, and it depends on the language of the court. If the court gives him a little bit of flexibility, believe me, he'll take it. But we can't determine that until we know if the Supreme Court says blanket immunity, then the case is over and Smith has to go to court and say, please dismiss the indictment. I think Hunter Biden and Abby Lowell were very smart to have this press conference saying, I'm here, I'm ready to testify. He wins in the court of public opinion among independents, but he loses in the court of law. All right, folks, I hope your shopping's done or you got uh, a plan because we're seven days out from Christmas. The nice thing is, as you wrap those gifts or go out to the mall or sit around on Amazon, whatever you do, just listen to us. We're going to entertain you, inform you in the next seven days as we get ready. Today, though, man, what a great show headed your way. Alan Dershowitz uh, is with us. Now, you've heard Alan on the show before, a professor emeritus from Harvard, right? Uh, he's a Democrat. He's a liberal Democrat. He's never voted for Trump, but he is so committed to the Constitution and the rule of law that he is the perfect guest to explain why these crazy liberal judges have gone so way too far and provide some real insight into what should happen in all of these various cases uh, with Trump. I'm going to break that down with him. We're going to talk about Hunter Biden and impeachment, plus some of the other stuff that the court has uh, headed its way. But first, a couple of things. Number one, um, that Friday episode with Steve Bannon, if you didn't hear that, uh, go back, check it out on either audio on Apple uh, or Spotify or, or go watch the YouTube or whatever. Steve did not disappoint. What, I mean, it was, and by the way, we've now, we're closing in on a hundred episodes uh, of this show. I've never seen so much press come from this. It was everywhere. Bannon texts me Saturday morning. He's like, whoa, dude, that was everywhere. I mean, the Daily Mail, Newsweek, mainstream, right-leaning media, all over, international, national, domestic. I mean, it was everywhere especially him, him commenting on, on Trump picking a female VP running mate. Now, as you guys know, uh, I've been saying this for a while. And, and it's interesting because this just goes to show you when we brought up that Wall Street Journal um, article that laid out four different tiers of who Trump could pick. They don't get it. They just don't know Trump. They don't know what, is, what he's looking for, what he sees in things and in people. because they're part of the legacy left-wing media. But Bannon hit the nail on the head, and that's exactly right. It's, you think about it, Marsha Blackburn, Elise Stefanik, Christy Noem, Sarah Sanders, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, that's who's on that top four, five list, right? These other people are great, Ben Carson, Tucker, maybe they will, maybe ultimately he decides that that's where he's gonna go, and no one would be disappointed in that, but I think that the reality is he understands how more attractive that ticket would be, somebody like that, and also, how important it is to have somebody who's ready day one, who's got legislative or governing experience as the aforementioned people did. But I'm telling you, uh, this episode went crazy. And I appreciate everybody who shared it because it was pretty obvious from the numbers, it went everywhere. But you look, like I said, at the media coverage of this. I mean, just look at some of this. It was crazy. So we're going to continue to do that as we head into 2024. Great guests that bring you insight that you'll see nowhere else. So I appreciate everybody sharing that uh, and continued support. This is, uh, I feel like this is my Christmas gift from you. So thank you. Um, 
there was also a rather demented, inappropriate, I don't even know the right word, but this staffer for Senator Ben Cardin, he's a senator from Maryland, had a video get leaked of him, of him having gay sexual relations on the committee's dais. Now, this is one of the most iconic committees in history, like hearings from all over various subjects, national and international importance have happened at this dais. And here is the staffer. Now, a couple of things that are interesting. At first, the guy denies it, right? He says, I'm going to be looking at my legal thing. Dude, it's a video that you put out that we can see of your face. I don't know what legal options he had. Like it was inappropriate. It was wrong. It was potentially, Jonathan Charlie looked at this in the in an article on the Hill and said it potentially was against DC and federal law. I'll leave that to the lawyers. Then secondly, look at this headline from NBC. What 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 is wrong with these people? Somehow this is a conservative conspiracy. This guy's on video doing it. He sent the video out. Dumb, dumb. Like that's not a, cons- a right-wing conspiracy thing. Sorry, Hillary Clinton, et cetera. But this is how the media covers stuff like this by claiming that it's a right-wing conspiracy pushed out by conservative outlets. I'm sorry. You have gay sex in a committee hearing room. Uh, that's not on the conservatives, folks. And then Ben Cardin's response, right? This is the United States Senate. He said he's no longer employed by the United States Senate. Now, this might seem petty, picky semantics, but he was never employed by the United States Senate as if like there was some logistical role he played. He was employed by you, Ben Cardin. You are a United States Senator, yes, but he was employed by you through your office's account. You're trying to distance yourself from it. I get it. But you notice the media let him off the hook on this. This is insane. They talk about decency. All right, guys, most of us know what it's like to be without power, sometimes for an hour, maybe a day, a couple days after a natural disaster, a hurricane, a windstorm, you know, whatever. But now national security experts are warning that our power grid is more vulnerable than ever. And they've identified nine key substations, which if attacked, They're saying we could lose power for months, months. That's why having your own solar power is more important than ever. So I recommend the Patriot Power Generator, which is a solar generator that you don't have to install in your house. It's portable, you can take it with you. You can use it inside your house. And it's powerful enough that if power goes out, we're talking your phones, your tablets, your computers, medical devices, even your refrigerator gets power. So if you go to fourpatriots.com and use code SPICER, you get 10% off your first purchase. It's four patriots.com includes that patriot power generator you'll get a uh that guarantee for a year free shipping if it's over 97 bucks and a portion of every sale is donated to charities that support veterans right that's great so go to fourpatriots.com use code spicer fourpatriots.com you do not want to be without power in case something happens without further ado let's get into it with the professor himself the author of get trump the threat to civil liberties, due process, and our constitutional rule of law, which I recommend to everyone. This is a book that lays out all of the legal troubles that Donald Trump is facing from a guy who's a liberal and tells you how he's going to beat them all. His latest book, though, by the way, War Against the Jews, How to End Hamas Barbari- Bar- Bar- Barbarism. Holy smokes, I can't talk today. I'm so excited for Christmas. It came out December 12th. Amazon says, by the way, both of these books can get there for Christmas. So if you like them, 
order right now. Not my word. I'm not making any promises, but Amazon says they'll get them to you before Christmas. Without further ado, the author of those two and several other great books, the professor himself, Alan Dershowitz. Professor, welcome back to welcome back to the show. Always a pleasure to be on with you, Sean. You know, I, I was just mentioning the books, and I always say plural because it's like I feel like if it's a new month, there's a new book. Uh, I, I mentioned to the audience all of the books when I was on Amazon. It, it makes it very clear. <laughs> Order today. We can get them there by Christmas. The thing that I think is interesting about the latest book that came out December 12th, War Against the Jews, is you and I talk once in a while about how your defense of the Constitution has cost you a lot of friends and engagements. And yet when I look at the endorsers of this book, you've got the president of Israel endorsing the book. You've got Elie Wiesel endorsing the book. And I'm thinking to myself, if I had all the friends that I have whittled down to a handful and among them were the president of Israel and Elie Wiesel, I'd still count myself pretty blessed. I'm very blessed. Uh, my real friends are some of the most wonderful people in the world, people who understand me, that I don't defend people based on politics. Um, I defended Donald Trump. And if Joe Biden were to be impeached on unconstitutional grounds, we're not there yet. And if he had asked me to defend him, I would defend him as vigorously as I defended Donald Trump. I don't pick my clients based on my politics. So let's just, before we get into the court stuff, let's talk about where we are. I mean, you wrote the book, War Against the Jews. There's a lot of pressure right now coming from institutions like you used to teach at at Harvard and others talking about a ceasefire and that the, the Israelis need to tone it down a little. Explain where you come at this from, because you literally, I mean, the, the name of the book is War Against the Jews. But ceasefire would be a total victory for Hamas, and they'll just do it over and over and over again. It's an invitation to terrorism. We have to treat um, Hamas the way Churchill and Roosevelt treated the Nazis and the Imperial Japanese. Total surrender, um, uh, no compromises, all-out war, try to minimize the number of civilians. But remember that every civilian killed as a human shield is the fault of Hamas. If I take you as a hostage and start shooting from behind you and the police try to shoot me but kill you by mistake, I'm the guilty person, not the policeman who fired the shot. So we have to have complete, complete defeat of Hamas. That would be the best thing for the Palestinians and the best thing for Americans, because if Hamas succeeds in the Middle East, it's coming to a theater near you. We already see that Hamas has operatives in Europe that have been arrested. It's only a matter of time before they start blowing up. First, they'll start with synagogues, then they'll go to churches, and then they'll go to schools in the United States. Remember, Israel is the small devil. America is the big devil to them. Yeah. Um, I want to get to these Trump cases, but one last question on this, because obviously you wrote the book, but you're also closely and inextricably linked to, to Harvard. There's a lot of questions surrounding the president of Harvard, comments that she made, the inability to refer to it as a genocide, the inability of her to protect Jewish students on campus. Uh, I saw one of the rabbis uh, on Harvard saying that they make them take the menorah down every night because they can't protect it. Where do you come down between free speech and, and and her ability to, I mean, she's now been accused of plagiarism. Should she stay as the president of, of Harvard? Absolutely not. She is the core of the problem. She is a DEI person. Uh, she has championed this diversity 
um, equity and inclusion, which is the incubator for anti-Semitism. It divides every student at Harvard along racial and ethnic lines. It divides Harvard into the oppressed and the oppressor, and the Jew, the white, the Christian is always the oppressor, and the Palestinian is the oppressed. So she should be fired, not because of what she said in front of Congress, but what she represents. She represents intersectionality, dividing the world into oppressed and oppressors. She represents diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is the opposite of diversity. It means skin-deep diversity. 97% of Harvard professors identify as liberals. 3% as conservative. Is that diversity? Equity is the opposite of equality. Under equity, it's a microaggression. To quote Martin Luther King, I dream of a time when my children will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And inclusion explicitly excludes Jews and Asians. It's the worst thing that has ever happened to universities. And she is in charge of that. And not only must she go, but her whole program uh, of how to teach and how to educate students must go. Harvard is going to become the leader in the destruction of universities around the world. We now have grade inflation at Harvard. What do you think grade inflation comes from? Grade inflation comes from DEI. Every idea is equal. You have to treat groups equally. Everybody gets an A. Everybody gets a trophy for showing up. That's the end of our education system. I wish I had grade inflation. <laughs> I, I could have used it. Um, so let's let's get to the Supreme Court if we can. There's two cases that I want to focus on right off the bat uh, that both deal with President Trump and his legal consequences. Uh, let's start with this first one. Jack Smith, the special counsel, has asked the Supreme Court, he bypassed the appeals process, the appellate process, and asked the Supreme Court to rule on whether or not he is immune from activities that occurred while he was president of the United States. So explain, number one, why, whether it was a good or a bad thing to bypass the appellate process. And number two, how do you think that case is going to go? Well, it's a very bad thing to bypass the appellate process. It denies Donald Trump the right to two appeals, one in the appellate court and one in the Supreme Court. And it's ironic because the trial judge who ruled against Donald Trump said, I'm going to treat him as an ordinary person. I don't care if he's running for president. He gets treated like everybody else. And then Smith comes in and says, no, he's running for president. I'm treating him differently from everybody else. Everybody else gets to go to the Court of Appeals, but because he's running for president and because we want to see a down and dirty conviction to prevent him from being president, maybe it'll be reversed on appeal, but that will be after the election. This is playing politics with the judicial system. I don't know how it's going to come out. Uh, I think probably they'll split the difference. There'll be immunity for certain things he did and perhaps not for others. But uh, if there's a trial in the District of Columbia, it is 100% certain there'd be a conviction. 91% of the voters of the District of Columbia who will serve on the jury hate Donald Trump and can't give him a fair trial. All right, guys, let me ask you a question. Are you tired of testosterone boosting products that don't work? I get it. I don't blame you. That's why our sponsor, Nugenics Total Tea, has an idea for you. Why don't you try it before you buy it? What a great idea. If you text 231-231 and enter the word SPICER, you will get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea. Uh, it's got testafin in it, which will help you turn back the clock and become that old you, that younger you, the vibrant you that you remember that guy. Well, that's what it'll help you do. Uh, and if it works for you, great, keep going. If it doesn't, you lost nothing. You get a complimentary bottle by texting 231-231, entering keyword SPICER. You're gonna get back that energy 
that muscle, that drive, that passion that you used to have. And remember, this is the number one doctor-recommended brand and the number one selling testosterone booster product at both GNC and at Walmart. They're on to something, right? People know what's happening here. But because you watch this show, you can get that complimentary bottle by texting 231-231, enter code word Spicel. And if you do this right now, you get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea uh, as well as the Nugenics Thermo X. Now, this is their newest and most powerful fat incinerator ever. It's got key ingredients to help get rid of that stubborn fat. And you know what I'm talking about. This is New Year's week. We've had been eating a lot of stuff. You need to get to this, right? Uh, so if you do that, you get both of these right now. Uh, this complimentary bottle, text 231-231, enter keyword Spicer. Now, remember, uh, texting enrolls you into recurring automated text messages. Consent not required to purchase. Message and data rates may apply. It is the number one doctor-recommended brand by primary care physicians based on an independent survey conducted by IQVIA 2022. So let's get back to this immunity issue, though, because I'm trying to understand this. The average person who's sitting around watching tonight says, explain what that means. And as far as a layperson, I, I understand that to mean that, hey, while I'm in office as president of the United States in this case, if I take certain actions in, in my job responsibilities in that office, i.e. president, not in my personal capacity, then I am protected from what? Criminal prosecution, meaning that you can't come after me because I was conducting an act as an as a official of the yeah. United States government. Is that what that really comes down to? down to and people say but the president isn't above the law but remember senators and congressmen can't be charged for their acts that they did judges can't be charged for their acts so it force follows naturally that president should also have some immunity now the difference between personal and 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 presidential when jimmy carter was president uh, a man named anatoly sharansky was sentenced to prison and he was accused of being an american spy and i conducted a campaign to try to get every day, an ad in the New York Times sponsored by somebody outlining how many days he'd been in prison. And the first person I asked was President Carter, who I knew. I asked him through Stuart Eisenstadt, who was his assistant. And I said, I want him to sign it as an individual, just Jimmy Carter Plains, Georgia. And, and, and Stuart Eisenstadt explained to me, when you're the president, there's no such thing as a personal act. Every act, going to the bathroom is a presidential act. Everything is presidential. You cannot be a non-president for a minute of the time between the day you're sworn in and the day you're succeeded. So the court's going to have a hard time distinguishing between what's presidential. The president's supposed to enforce the laws. If President Trump honestly, mistakenly in my view, but if he honestly believed he was enforcing the election laws on January 6th, that's a presidential act. So we'll see how the court decides it. Nobody, nobody can predict because there's been no precedent. Nobody can predict it, but it's got a 6-3 conservative bent. And a lot of court watchers would suggest that that would be in the president's favor. Is that, is that, a, is it, or is that an inaccurate way to, to look at something like that? It's an inaccurate way. We've seen already in the past that when it comes to President Trump, the court does not split 6-3 to three in his favor. The same thing was true with Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton had a majority on the court when it ruled unanimously against his claim of civil immunity in the Paula Jones case. So I don't think that President Trump can count on a six to three majority. If he could, then he would be in favor of having the case go directly to the Supreme Court. So let's just say regardless, five, four, six, three, 
the court rules in his favor. What does that mean for the future of this particular case? It gets thrown out, essentially, or at least most of it gets uh, thrown out. Uh, and then there's the other Supreme Court case where the well, Supreme Court- If I can, real quick, mostly, does that mean, I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm comprehending this. If, if the court rules that he did have immunity, does Jack Smith then say, okay, game over, you won? Or is he kind of go in and surgically pull out a part of it? But that's where I don't understand. The way that I look at this is to say, okay, if he was immune from it, then he's immune from it and you, you court's out, case is over. That's the logical way of looking at it. Smith will try. And it depends on the language of the court. If the court gives him a little bit of flexibility, believe me, he'll take it. But we can't determine that until we know if the Supreme Court says blanket immunity, then the case is over and Smith has to go to court and say, please dismiss the indictment. And I would just assume that to your point about senators and congressmen and judges, if you are a true believer in this, in the role of being able to do official acts, I know a lot of people don't want it to, to rule in his favor because it's Donald Trump, but for historical and precedental purposes, don't you want him to have immunity? Yes, of course. And because what is good for Donald Trump today would be good for Joe Biden tomorrow right. and for us in the future. And the one thing we want to stop is this weaponization of the criminal justice system for political purposes against whoever is serving in the Oval Office. You know, when Donald Trump first got impeached, as you know, I defended him in his first impeachment. I predicted to all my friends on the Democratic Party, you will rue this day because the Republicans are going to get even as soon as there's the first yeah. Democrat, they're going to start impeaching him. And of course, the day that we saw, the day that Joe Biden got, got, got inaugurated, already there were some Republicans calling for his impeachment in the same way that the day Donald Trump got inaugurated before he did anything, Professor Lawrence Tribe was calling for his impeachment. So we're seeing that on both sides. Let, let me just play this out for a second so the audience can understand this. Tell me how crazy or ridiculous a scenario like this is. Let's just say Donald Trump wins a second term and he says, I'm going to go after Joe Biden. And, uh, well, listen, people were killed in that uh, disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. So we're going to charge Joe Biden with murder. Again, this might sound nuts, but if they don't rule that he has that a president has immunity, would a circumstance like that sound that nuts? Well, it's possible that right. you could go political enemies. Look, John Kennedy, the day he got into office, he instructed his brother, the attorney general, Get Roy Cohen. I don't care what you do. You got to get Roy Cohen. And so we've seen presidents, Democrats and Republicans go after their political enemies the day they get into office. But, but, but I guess my point here isn't to going after political enemies. But my point is to understand that for folks on the left that say, I don't really care. Let's go after Donald Trump. That in order to protect a president, and I'm just using that scenario to paint a picture of why it's that absurd, is that Joe Biden was doing something in his position as president that he thought was in the nation's interest. He ordered this removal as a consequence. Uh, soldiers died, right? But he is, of course, no normal person would say that he can be criminally prosecuted. A case like this, in my mind, seems to protect him from anyone trying to go after him. I completely agree with you. And you go beyond that. There are so many actions that presidents take that determine life and death. And you have to give the president the Correct. flexibility to make right. the decision best interest of the United States. Move it to Israel for a second and say, is Benjamin Netanyahu responsible for the killing of the three hostages that the IDF accidentally killed? Of course not. 
you can't hold the prime minister, the president, the senators, judges responsible for their judicial actions if they're acting within the scope of their duty. And the scope of the president's duty is very broad indeed. Okay, so let's walk through this second case that you alluded to that's up for the Supreme Court. And again, please uh, apologize, uh, apologies up front for my uh, lack of legal prowess on this. But my understanding is that there is a- Plus in law school, even without great inflation. (laughs) I appreciate that. But my understanding is that this case has to do with how the court is interpreting the word insurrection and, and how some of these January 6th uh, rioters, protesters had been charged. Is that is that accurate? And walk us through that case. Yes. And I have to first acknowledge that one of those people is a client of mine, a young law school student who went there just to exercise his First Amendment right to petition the government for redress of grievances. He honestly believed the election had been stolen. He was wrong, but he has the right to believe that. And then he was way, he didn't expect to even go into the house. Uh, and then he was waved in by the police, went in for a few minutes. As soon as the police told him to leave, he left. His law school diploma has been denied him. He has been indicted for a felony. And uh, his life has been ruined and turned around. And so this case, among others, uh, will determine whether he and whether Donald Trump can be charged relating to the January 6th matter. And I suspect there's going to be real restrictions and real limitations on what the uh, government can do in indicting people for insurrection, for obstructing an official proceeding. This is going to be a very important case. All right, folks, longtime listeners to the show are going to know about Delta Rescue. DeltaRescue.org, the largest no-kill sanctuary in the world. It was founded by my friend, Leo Grillo. And Leo basically one day found a Doberman that was in need of serious help and nutrition. He rescued that Doberman. He named the Doberman Delta. Delta stands for dedication and everlasting love to animals. It's become Leo's mission and what Delta Rescue does every single day for all sorts of animals. Go to deltarescue.org. Take a look at the videos and the material there. They rely solely on our contributions. If you're an animal lover, go check out deltarescue.org and tell me that you just can't see how what great work they do and why we should be helping them. Um, I've rescued three dogs myself. I know what it's like uh, to go out there and help them. This is a no-kill sanctuary for life. It's a mission for them. And they rely solely on our contributions. So five, 10, 100 bucks, whatever you can give is super helpful. But more importantly, Leo wants to make this an enduring cause, something that we don't have to worry about just funding month to month, year to year, forever, to make sure that the work of Delta Rescue lives on. They've got an estate planning package on their website, deltarescue.org. Aside from the videos and all the testimonials, go check out that estate planning guide and see if you can make it part of your enduring mission when you pass to make Delta Rescue part of your estate planning. Check it out, download it. It's all free. They can help you walk through it. Please visit deltarescue.org. If you're an animal lover like me, you're going to want to do this. Thank you. And so what happens if, if, if play this out, if the court says the government went too far in defining its use of instruction, what, what then happens? Not just to this individual, but to everybody that's been charged, including Donald Trump, or not to, not that Trump's been charged, but how does that affect his case? They have to go through every one of the indictments and they would have to peel off those aspects of it, which were held illegal by the Supreme Court. There'll probably be some things left for some people. For example, people went in and destroyed property. 
they can still be uh, prosecuted. People who went in and hurt policemen, they can be prosecuted. But people who simply went in in order to exercise their First Amendment right probably will not be able to be prosecuted. And that would include my client. And then what would happen, going back to how it affects Donald Trump, if they if they ruled that the government went too far, how would that affect his case specifically? It would take the core of the case out and they might try again to rummage through things and find some things that are not covered by the opinion. It will depend on what the opinion says. But I think it would be uh, very difficult to prosecute Donald Trump if the court holds that um, this statute uh, doesn't cover constitutionally protected uh, protests and is not constitute an obstruction of an official proceeding. But we have to wait and see the exact terms of the opinion. All we know is that four justices wanted to review the case. Doesn't even mean they have a majority of five. So we'll have to wait. Once we have the oral argument, uh, which will happen in the spring, I'll be in a much better position to predict the outcome of the case. Okay, so Judge Chutkin, who's overseeing this case uh, that Jack Smith is prosecuting here in, in the D.C. area, has paused proceedings. Is that correct? And, and how important is that to, to Trump specifically politically? Well, he wants it paused. He wants the case held until after the election, not during uh, the, ele- the election season. And so it is important. But, uh, you know, the judge in this case has shown extreme bias toward the defendant in so many different ways that I suspect she'll try to figure out a way of uh, circumventing uh, the Supreme Court's grant of cert and trying to schedule the case before the election. Whether she'll succeed in doing that, I don't know, but she seems to be, she seems to be part of this effort to get a, a, a down and dirty conviction before the election to try to influence the election. And then, well, if it's reversed, it'll be after the election anyway. That's what's so upsetting about this. Uh, in my other book, Get Trump, I analyze all these issues in, in great detail and come to the conclusion that this is an attempt to impact the election through the judicial system, which is in violation of the Justice Department's own rules. They have a rule saying, do not time cases in a manner that could impact in the election. We saw that probably affected the election of the Donald Trump against Hillary Clinton, uh, the FBI's statement uh, there. We don't know what affected that election, um, but, but uh, we shouldn't be seeing the judiciary interfering with elections. It is interesting to your point that they're not supposed to do stuff. And then we talked about this a moment ago. Jack Smith clearly wants it expedited for no other reason. I mean, again, to your point, if this was any other defendant, you wouldn't bypass the appellate process. It's clear that the election timeline is part of his of his calculus. There's no question. In my 60 years of practicing criminal law, I have tried on numerous occasions to try to get the courts to intrude before the trial, and you almost never succeed. The courts always say, wait, if there's a conviction, you'll have plenty of time to appeal. We'll consider the case then. Well, one of the other tactics that's being used uh, by Democrats is at least eight of them have written a letter publicly saying that Clarence Thomas should recuse himself because his wife, Ginny, has been very active in supporting President Trump. Um, One, does the court care about that? How much do you think that impacts Thomas's decisions to recuse himself or not? And will he ultimately make a decision to recuse himself? I don't think he will. And I don't think the letter will impact his decision. It might impact the chief justice, 
who is very concerned about the integrity of the court. And there are questions about whether or not a justice's wife, remember, we live in a society now where wives can do whatever they want. Wives are no longer just the wife of a man. They are independent human beings. And 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 Mrs. Thomas has the right to be in politics. Um, but uh, other justices uh, have taken different views of this. And, you know, what Justice Thomas's wife has done does impact the perception of justice among many Americans. Is it enough to have him recuse himself? I suspect not. You just from your expertise, is this the kind of thing where another justice, uh, maybe one of the more liberal justices, weighs in, says anything publicly or privately, or do they leave that to that justice themselves to make a decision? Without a doubt, they'll say nothing publicly, but whether or not John Roberts will go to him and say, look, the integrity of the court, it would be better if you recuse himself, especially if he could then say, and it won't have an impact on the outcome of the case anyway, because there are enough justices <laughs> on the other. So uh, I don't know about the private operations of the Supreme Court. I do know that Justice Roberts has expressed to people concern about attacks on the integrity of the court. Okay. I want to switch for a second to the other side. You mentioned your defense of Donald Trump because you believed in, in the, the legal process and the Constitution. Republicans have now officially launched an impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden, just an inquiry. They're trying to gather. What do you see so far about uh, the makeup of that inquiry? Does it, does it pass muster? Well, it does. Uh, there are smoking, there, 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 there's, there's smoke. Um, there are enough things that check. When the media says, by the way, when the media says without evidence, I've always, you're the perfect person to ask for this. I, you may not, it may not lead to a conviction or a conclusion, but I look at this just as a lay person that watches, you know, a lot of law and order. Evidence is evidence. It may not be conclusive, but the fact of the matter is there is evidence. Is that correct? I give you an A plus. Ah, thank you. Both CNN and Fox, uh, both sides have overstated the issue. And the Republicans and Democrats. The Democrats say there's nothing there at all. No, there's something there. Why would anybody, China, Ukraine, hire this kid uh, who has no real experience to uh, get so much money? There's something there. Uh, right. And Republicans say, oh, it's a smoking gun. No, it's a smoking cigarette butt at the moment. And <laughs> we'll and see. If it becomes a smoking gun, there's enough for an investigation. My preference would have been for a real, real independent special counsel, really independent, somebody from a list of the five uh, people who are most qualified to do this. Michael McKay, the former attorney general, Louis Free, the former head of the FBI, somebody like that, because nobody believes Republicans when they say um, it's an open and shut case against him. And nobody believes Democrats when they say there's nothing against them. Right. That's why I think a special prosecutor, special counsel, somebody with real integrity and nonpartisan uh, credentials would do a better job than the Republicans who control the House and will conduct an investigation. So kind of staying on this line of questioning, when, when Hunter Biden was uh, subpoenaed to testify, uh, he had uh, a date scheduled, a time scheduled. They wanted to do the first part in private behind closed doors, I assume with staff. And then they would have a hearing potentially at some point in the future. He shows up on Capitol Hill, Hunter Biden. He gets out of his Secret Service vehicle with his attorney, Abby Lowell, goes to the podium 
makes comments as to why he is not going to, you know, he says, I'm here, I'm here, and then drives off. I, I assume that doesn't pass muster. I mean, from a Hunter Biden standpoint, he doesn't get to choose, right? Well, you were the press secretary, so you'll appreciate my comment. <laughs> I think he wins in the court of public opinion. I think Hunter Biden and Abby Lowell were very smart to have this press conference saying, I'm here, I'm ready to testify. He wins in the court of public opinion among independents, but he loses in the court of law. Court of law is going to say, we can't tell Congress how to conduct its business. If they want to do it initially secretly, they can do it secretly. So, But, um, but I, I look at these guys like Steve Bannon, uh, Paul Manafort, others who defy January 6th committee subpoenas. They got sentenced to, to time in jail for not complying with Congress. So how does Hunter Biden say, I get to choose how I want to? I'm not, not, I'm not saying he does get to. How does the Justice Department then say, well, we're not going to go after him? No, they, they will have to go after him. And I think they will. And they'll, they'll try to enforce the subpoena. And uh, whether he gets jail time or whether he gets a suspended sentence or contempt of court, I don't know. But I think legally, he probably will not prevail. I think the argument that he's entitled to a hearing in public um, is not going to win in the court of law, though I think, it, I think he did a very good job and saying to the public, what, what do the Republicans have to hide? Why are they keeping me secret? Why not allow me to testify in public? That's what I want to do. That serves the American interest. That was a good argument for the court of public opinion. Right, and I, I get it. I think your point, I'm here, I'm ready to go. I actually kind of agree with you. I think that the Republicans should have said, I get it, this is ridiculous, but let's take them. There were a lot of people that I talked to said he's going to sit at that committee hearing, though, and just take the Fifth Amendment. Well, he could. He could take the Fifth Amendment. And he could also write to the committee and say, I'm going to take the Fifth Amendment. Therefore, don't make me come. That's a legal argument that might prevail. But, but he hasn't yet said he's going to take the Fifth Amendment. But he's kind of hurt himself, though, right? Because he showed up in public, as you said, maybe it was an effective PR stunt. But at the end of the day, if you're going to do that and say, I'm here, I'm ready to go. If they call his bluff, he can't. I mean, I get it. He still has the legal right to take the Fifth Amendment. But if he shows up after that political stunt, that kind of that really uh, shows his thread there. It means that in the court of public opinion, then he loses because he's be bluffing. But in the court of law, he wins because he can take the fifth. They can then give him immunity, of course. And if they give him immunity, he no longer can take the fifth. And the immunity doesn't have to be immunity for prosecution. It can just be use immunity. So you said that it was a great move by them. I saw another legal scholar say that Abby Lowell, his attorney, may have created a, a legal situation for himself because he was knowingly helping a client evade a legal subpoena. Is that a bridge too far or is there anything there? Oh, total nonsense. Total nonsense. Uh, that's what lawyers are supposed to do. And if that ever happened and if Abby called me, I'd be the first guy defending him. That's what lawyers are supposed to do. They're supposed to test the limits of the law and they should not be held responsible criminally for be, being lawyers. There's too much of that going on now, too much on both sides of lawyers being held responsible for giving legal advice to their clients. Obviously, if what you've done is illegal, having a bar certificate doesn't protect you, but exercising your uh, obligation as a lawyer should never be criminalized. So what about, again, and, and this is just another thing that got thrown out into the ether, but Congressman Eric Swalwell, set up the podium for him, gave him, the, you know, reserved the ground. 
I feel like that to me was the weakest argument that some folks on the right were making that did Swalwell help him evade this no. legally? No, of has- course not. Yeah, you know, again, there are so many efforts to stretch the law and to make the law fit your partisan political purposes. We have to resist that, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. Okay, I, I do want to move to to sort of stay in Trump world for a second. We've got a few minutes left. Uh, Mark Meadows was given immunity in that Georgia case with Fannie Willis down there. Uh, He's been, you and I have talked about this in the past. He's been trying to get this in a federal court so far unsuccessfully. What, if you were on the Trump team, does Mark Meadows getting immunity concern you at all? Of course. Uh, The biggest concern that any criminal defense attorney has is that the friends of the defendant, the associates will turn. And it's very easy for prosecutors to get people to turn, threaten them, threaten their family. We've seen that it's happened. And so you always worry about the people closest to you. One of the first things I advise clients when I begin to represent them is you cannot any longer trust anybody but me. You can't (laughs) trust because I'm precluded from doing that. But even today, we've seen some of Trump's lawyers turn against him. So um, right right now, I probably have to advise my clients, you can't trust anybody, even me, although I've never turned on a client and never will. You haven't done that. But but to your point, his attorneys, people who have represented him, Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell, have, I don't know that the right word, I don't know, maybe is it turned on them, but they have create, you know struck a deal. Is that, I mean, where is the line now between representing someone and, and being able to talk to your attorney and concern that, that, your attorney may at some point turn on you. It's a great concern now. And I think that the role of a lawyer has been weakened considerably uh, by um, government making, really making lawyers turn against their clients. And that's something the Justice Department should never be involved in doing. All right. So let's move to Rudy Giuliani. This big finding comes out over 140 million. I think it was 148 million. How do you come up with 148? Why not just round it off and call it 150? Uh, The court ruling that he defamed these two election workers and that this is is the the remedy uh, for doing that. It seems kind of absurd in the sense that there's no way by any stretch of the imagination that Rudy Giuliani has 150 million dollars. why did the court, even if they thought he was wrong, pick a number that is so outside the bounds of reality? To send the message, obviously, the courts of appeals generally reduce verdicts like this. Uh, there's no way that you can say that these women who have been so praised on CNN and other stations and their reputations largely restored, I think, in the court of public opinion, very hard to say that uh, these women have been damaged to the tune of uh, uh, those hundreds of millions of dollars. So I think a court of appeals will reduce the verdict. So if you're Rudy Giuliani, I mean, does it really matter if it's 150 or I mean, or, or, or 50 million, right? I mean, at some point you go, I don't have that money. Well, in fact, he said, and he was right, that the higher the verdict, the more likely it will be reversed on appeal. So probably in some respects, um, He's not unhappy that there was such an excessive a verdict, but uh, in terms of his own bankruptcy, now bankruptcy doesn't uh, uh, pr- prevent you from having to pay off a court judgment of this kind, but you know we don't have debtors prison anymore, so he will pay. All right. 
Professor Dershowitz, thank you again for always joining us. It's amazing to break down such complex uh, issues. That's why I would take your course. I probably would need a little great inflation. But the beauty is you've got so many great books out there. Get Trump, uh, this latest one. Again, according to Amazon, it can all get there by Christmas, folks. So if you're looking for a last minute gift, stuff those stockings, get something good, make people smarter, read the books. Thank you, Professor, as always. Thank you so much. All right. He never disappoints, does he? Alan Dershowitz breaking it all down on so many topics. The beautiful thing is I have a feeling you're going to hear about a lot of these cases, especially over the holidays with the liberal uncle, cousin, whatever you have, that's going to tell you how crazy all this is and why Trump should be in jail. Now you can break it down with the expertise of somebody like Professor Alan Dershowitz. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show on tap tomorrow for you. As always, continue to share, subscribe, hit the notification button, and we'll see you back here tomorrow.